Uh, I know that some in our audience know the finer points of hockey. The Chris Johnston Show. We are your friends. The biggest stories bringing you inside the game. What did you hear? The Chris Johnston Show. What is going on? Here's Chris with your host, Julian McKenzie. So, Alan Walsh is part of the SDPN. Who would have seen this coming? Huh? Huh? I, I might have had a thought or two about it. Oh, did you now? <laughs> I don't want to go telling tales out of school, but sources Fine. had been uh, leading me to to this conclusion. It's awesome that he's uh, joined the squad, though. I have to find uh, there's an exact quote from uh, I'll put this cup down. I'll find this exact quote uh, from one of the last SDP episodes. We'll get to all the fun stuff from this episode of the CJ show with the Leafs and and uh, a really good article we found the Players Tribune earlier today. But I just want to mention this first. Um, there was a quote that Steve Dangle mentioned on the last episode of the podcast where he mentioned something along the lines of taking a stab at it. And when I heard that line, I was like, hmm, he dropped a big clue for everybody. And nobody picked up on it that he meant Alan Walsh. And if you know what, if you know, you know what I mean by that, uh, that little clue with regards to taking a stab at it. So the, the bigger question here, Julian, is did he mean to give that clue? Or was that just like one of these things that was in his mind and, and he let it slip? Like, what, What's your thinking there? Uh, I... Dangle's a lot smarter than he lets on. I think he meant to do that. So it was an I Easter think egg. He meant to do that. I think it was an Easter egg. I think it's one of those things. If you're smart enough and you know what's going on, you know what's going on. But no, I, as far as I'm concerned, as from what I saw on the Discord, I don't think anybody saw that. I don't think anybody pointed that out. But I mean, I, I had the the intel from a, a few sources of my own. But uh, yeah, uh, when I heard that, I was like, okay, it, it's it's definitely that. It's I gotta say that. The STP Discord sleuths got up their game because like I, I I figure they're like the most dialed in. They don't miss anything. I remember a bunch of them even guessed that, that you know, we were launching the, the CJ show when, when, you know, some of the hints started dropping a week before. Or so, so, you know, I'm, I'm surprised that they uh, let this one get by them. Here's the one thing. This is the last thing we'll say before we get into the, uh, the topics du jour. Like you being involved with the SDP had makes sense because you had been doing podcasts with Steve for years. Uh, if you've been following Andrew Berkshire on Twitter, you know there's the friendship between those two. In all fairness to those people, how many people would have realized that Alan Walsh would want to do anything with Steve Dangle? I don't know. I don't know. But that just goes to show uh, the power of the SDPN. That just goes to show the power of, of Adam and Jesse and everyone else working behind the scenes. And uh, hey, I think uh, you and I, we, we do pretty well with uh, the Chris Johnston show. All right, let's uh, jump into the Toronto Maple Leafs and the tire fire of a season that they're having. Mind you, they have wins to their tally. They're not as bad as the Arizona Coyotes. They're not as bad as Chicago. The Montreal Canadiens, up until the weekend, were without a law, were without a win. And they found a way to win in a big way over the Detroit Red Wings. But it was the Toronto Maple Leafs whose fans were throwing, well, at least one fan threw a jersey onto the ice. And it was also the Toronto Maple Leafs who lost 7-1 against the Pittsburgh Penguins team that had no Sidney Crosby, no Jeff Carter, no Brian Rust, no Chris Letton, uh, who I think is is tested positive for COVID since that game, uh, if I have that right. Uh, no Jeff well, Carter, so, man. They had Evan Rodriguez well, as their number one center. I mean, like, geez, <laughs> sucks. That, like, with wow. respect to Evan, that that made it worse. I mean, a fully healthy Penguins lineup, he's like a third line winger or their fourth line center, and and he was. 
handling the big minutes in that game. And he did very well in his big minutes. And, and, you know, as did some other players that don't get, gather a lot of attention playing for the, the Penguins. So yeah, that was, that was something. Okay. Is it, where do you want to start? Okay. Let's start with the reaction from that game. Uh, like I know Leafs fans, just like, you know, Leafs fans, and I'm sure you have enough of them who we've got a few bosses that fall into that category in this show. Yeah, that too. Uh, I, I watched the the LFR from Mr. Dangle, and he looked exasperated. And he, you know, a lot of people might look at it and say, "Hey, you know what? It's six games, but this has been going on for a couple of years now. The losses in an embarrassing fashion. Where do you stand on on all of this? Is this too soon to panic?" Or do you think this is the just the right reaction for all of this? Well, it sets up a big game seven for the Leafs. Another one. It's just game seven of the regular <laughs> season rather than a playoff series. And, <laughs> yes. you know, I, I realize, look, we're recording this before the Leafs play Carolina on Monday night. So, you know, many of you listening or watching will have seen what happened in that game. We obviously don't know at this point in time. But, you know, my view on this is, first of all, the way the fans or, or a portion of the fan base reacted, like, I have no problem with that. You know, a lot of those people, and, and I'm not trying to I'm not saying like those crazy people, but I, you know, look, they don't want to hear about expected goals or some of the things that haven't gone the, the Leafs way. I mean, you know, what, what sports are at their root is passion. Right. And we're talking about passionate people uh, who've, you know, run short. I think that they've had the hope kind of bled out of them by the last number of years. I mean, there's that old saying, Julian, that in sports, you're either selling hope or you're selling winning. Well, the Leafs have no more hope to sell. I mean, that's that's been the last five years with this core. You know, if you go back to that first season when when Matthews and Marner are rookies and Nylander, like everyone understood that year. OK, this they aren't Stanley Cup favorites or anything, but like this team's building in the right direction. And so you can get by on on off nights, I think. And, and then time's gone along here. This season is all about winning. And, you know, as much as I heard some of the Leafs players and Sheldon Keefe, like they, they kind of sort of their reaction to the reaction, if you will, was that, you know, some of this is media created or the fans being a little hysterical. They called it the noise. But let's remember that they've earned the noise through six games. Like this is a team with high expectations. This is a team that spent three weeks of training camp talking about how painful it was to lose to Montreal uh, in the playoffs, how much they needed to, to make amends for that. I think we all recognize with 76 games remaining in their regular season, they've got lots of time to do that still. It's not like this is a final judgment, but it's it's not a very encouraging sign. And, you know, I really thought it, it kind of gets lost in how crazy the weekend was. But Sheldon Keefe himself, like I felt like he upped the ante after Friday's game against San Jose. And, you know, he, he put the heat squarely on Marner and Matthews uh, in the media, had sort of a, a tense exchange with uh, Terry Koshin of the Toronto Sun, who'd mm-hmm. asked about Nick Ritchie, who was the, the third member of that line at that point. And, you know, he was like, you should be asking as many questions about Matthews and Marner as you are about him. And so that set Saturday up to be a game. You know what I mean? Like, like you already have that early stage of the season. The coach himself is putting the spotlight on his biggest players. Then they go into a game against Wilkes-Barre Scranton and lose seven to one. And, you know, (laughs) what's, what's the difference, you know, right. They could have lost three to one, what have you. But I think again, when, when you're talking about fans, they have reason not to trust this core group. Right. Um, and so, you know, I think as media members or someone looking at it, you can step back and say like, okay, they're two, three, and one, which really isn't the end of the world. The the one overtime loss set against New York, it was Igor Shesterkin. I mean, the scoring chances, the shots, I mean, anything you look at, it was, that was a goalie 
loss, essentially. They got goalied. Even the San yeah, Jose yeah. game, they had to start their number three goal. Like, you can start to work through all the excuses and things that, that come up. You know, but really what I think this comes back to is there are no excuses left for the Leafs. I mean, no matter who gets injured this season, um, no matter how this plays out, this is a group that's got to find a way that that's talked about that. And so, you know, I didn't expect sort of this degree of urgency, panic, chaos to arrive this soon. But especially when it comes from a portion of the fan base, I think it's totally justified. Um, you know, these people have been patient. And so... Yeah, it's not the end of the world. It's one bad weekend, especially if they go on a winning streak. But, you know, they there's not a lot of trust around that team at this point in time. And so that's what they're fighting through, right? They have to fight. They're going to have to battle through this noise, if that's what they want to call it. They're going to have to battle through the doubts um, because until they prove it, they haven't done it. And that's where they're at right now. We've both watched a fair amount of Charlie Brown, I assume, throughout our lives. So we're both familiar with Charlie Brown running to kick the football being held by Lucy, and then Lucy pulls the football back at the last second. I, I imagine Toronto fans kind of feel like that. You make a really good point. They're, they're tired of having the wool pulled up over their eyes and, and being sold this hope when it it's just this clown car that's not going to be able to get it done when you need them to get it done, whether it's in the playoffs or against a Zamboni driving goaltender or against, as you, as you eloquently put it, the Wilkes-Barre Scranton Penguins losing 7-1. I wonder if we would have made a bigger deal of it if the game was like 4-3 for Pittsburgh instead of 7-1, though. It, it it would be a totally different reaction. I mean, I don't think people would be applauding the Leafs for a loss in that fashion, but, you know, 7-1 is pretty humiliating. And, like, there's no way around that. I mean, I would say that if any team lost 7-1 at any given time, that's it's just a tough result. Uh, I would expect a fan base to not like watching that. But I think, especially under the circumstances, early in a season... If you're a Leafs fan, you look at the Florida Panthers right now, right? And not only are they 5-0, and but like their goal differential, all the underlying numbers suggest this is a team that's ready to take a step. I mean, they took a step last year. They made the playoffs. They gave Tampa a good series in the first round. Now they look like they've gotten better. And, you know, look, progression doesn't always happen in a linear fashion, especially with sports teams. There's numerous examples. We can go back to that, that season where St. Louis won the Stanley Cup and was last place at, at the new year. You know, even the the first Tampa Cup uh, in the in the first COVID season, you know, they they really were like a 500 team for almost half the season and had to to get some things together. I mean, it it's not like everyone just starts and it's straight up and you win a cup. Um, you know, I, I don't think that, you know, I don't think anyone should necessarily think that way. But look, fans, uh, especially we're talking about the fans, they they probably don't. They don't need to be patient here, I don't think. I, I think it's fair for them to get upset by 7-1 to one against a team that's missing basically all of its best players. Um, you know, the, the, I think it does come down to trust, honestly. Uh, there, there just isn't trust or faith yet that this group will get over the top. And, you know, it will make it all the better if they do. Like, I think that's the way, if you're inside the Leafs front office or in their dressing room at this point in time, like, I think you you try to frame it that way, is that this is still all opportunity, right? Because nobody trusts you because you've lost in this fashion. I mean, this is sort of the door you're trying to knock down. And I think, I think as much as Leaf fans were down on Saturday night, they'll go crazy the other way. If, if this group does manage to get it together and have a great regular season, win a series or two or three, maybe four. Um, but, you know, if not, I, I do, this is a sign of how rocky this year could be too, if they're not able to, to write the ship and, and win more games. 
actually, so I understand that uh, this episode will go out just before the the Leafs and Hurricanes play, and a lot of people might end up still listening or watching this podcast the day after. And I also acknowledge that a lot of people who listen to our show don't necessarily live in Toronto and might not necessarily understand uh, the collective dread among those fans. So let's imagine the Toronto Maple Leafs get it together and beat the Carolina Hurricanes on Monday night. And then into Tuesday, they have another win to their tally. Is that enough at least to get rid of some of that collective dread? Or do you see fans just still kind of just throwing their hands in the air being like, Geez, at least we beat Carolina. Like, how do you think fans will respond if the if the Leafs win Monday night? That'll help, right? It's like a bit of a pressure release valve. That's how I see it. But you know, it's not going to completely remove it. I mean, if if they go two weeks down the road and lose seven to one to someone else again, Please. we'll probably be in. We'll probably be in for this. I mean, I, I think what they have to show is progression and progress. I think this they have to show that they can win games when they maybe don't have their best or. You know, right now, one of the issues for the Leafs has been Mitch Marner has one point through the first six games. Austin Matthews yet to score a goal in the three games he's played since returning from offseason wrist surgery. I mean, their top players haven't started firing yet. Uh, but I think that what fans would want to see is, OK, can you can still win those games sometimes. Right. It doesn't like obviously your top line talent, the guys who make all the big money. Yeah, they got it. They got to carry the season for most of the time. But they're you know, there there are going to be nights where they have some bad luck or they're not playing at their best. You know, I think a good veteran team finds a way to grind out those victories. And, and you know, so I think what they have to show is progress and consistency. Um, you know, it's not a matter of, you know, winning all 76 remaining games to keep everybody calm. But I think if you can go, get on a run and, and consistently find your way through and, and j- you just can't let it get to 7-1, man. Like, I mean, yeah, it there was room for a moral victory still in Pittsburgh. I mean, they like they got down pretty quickly. The, the two quick goals are down three, one against the four, one, but there, there's room to maybe battle back in that game. You know, uh, San Jose and Boston played on Sunday, San Jose fell behind, you know, they get it back within a goal with a couple goals in the third period. Like, I feel like that still gives you a moral victory. And I realize that moral victories don't count. It, you know, San Jose's moral loss there is, is the same as a 7-1 loss in, in the standings, but I think the team feels better and, and probably anyone who cares about the team watching that feels better. And so, you know, I I think this group does have to show some pushback. It doesn't mean what happens in this Carolina game matters so much. It doesn't even really matter. They play Wednesday in Chicago, right? The Blackhawks haven't won yet. You know, obviously, if you lose there, you're going to see another round of madness. But oh, yeah. you know, I actually don't think that matters. It's sort of how you lose, how you play, how you respond to this period of time. You know, I liked what Morgan Riley said. He said, we have to prove that we can break some of our bad habits. And, and I really think that that is what it's about because it's, it's a bad habit to get to seven to one. I just think it's for a team that's trying to win a Stanley Cup, for a team that's been through what they've been through. I mean, they didn't lose one game last season, anything close to seven to one. And so this, I think they do have to turn around quickly or, I mean, who knows? Like, this is the flip side of having fans in the building is, you know, you're going to hear from them out too. And, you know, they got to come home on the weekend. So they got two road yeah. games left maybe to try to calm the waters a bit before uh, coming back to Scotiabank Arena. Uh, on the subject of minor league, of minor league, of moral victories, uh, so, uh, noted poet laureate Sean Carter would say uh, moral victories are for minor league coaches. Just figured I'd get that one out there. Um, I, I, I think of Steve Dangle's LFR. And there was like, actually, I don't even think it was the LFR. I think it was during the uh, the stream that he has on Sportsnet, which, uh, by the way, big up to you for uh, low-key leaking that. Also, uh, more importantly, that particular stream, 
there's like one point I'm trying to remember at which part of the game. I think it was during like the second intermission of this game. Dangle starts talking about how the Leafs have all of these available resources to them, whether it's like sports science or, or anything else, just behind the scenes for them to be better players. And then he, for a whole minute, he's just like, what do you want? What do you want? What do you want? Like he even does like the hand gesture thing. Like, what do you want? And I, I kind of feel for him. If you're a Leafs fan, you're wondering like the Leafs have poured in all this money uh, to ensure that their players are in the best possible shape to, you know, win games. They, sh- of your, we, they should not be losing 7-1 to any team, let alone uh, the Pittsburgh Penguins shorthanded with all the players we mentioned earlier. I- I'm not sure what else this team could do beyond, uh, and I think of Masai Ujiri, who was in the news on Monday, without moving Mitch Marner or Austin, well, probably not Austin Matthews, but moving one of those big key pieces and finding some other option to, to help them go forward here. Masai Ujiri did it with DeMar DeRozan. After years of not getting through to where they need to be in the playoffs and they got Kawhi Leonard, yes, he didn't stay beyond the one year, but Kawhi Leonard won the Raptors a championship with the help of everyone else on that team. The Toronto Maple Leafs, as far as I'm concerned, like they have to do something of that sort, right? I don't know. You know, internally, I, I don't get the feeling that they view this as a make or break season. Like, I think they look at it that they've got Matthews, Marner, Nylander all signed for multiple years beyond this one. You know, those guys are still in their peak performing age ranges. You know, it's not like I don't think anyone realistically thinks that that any of them will just have a huge age related decline anywhere time soon. And so, you know, it seems to me that the strategy of the organization is to just keep trying to build the best team around them. And but basically give those guys as many looks as they can at the playoffs with the if you want to call it a better with the assumption that at some point you know, multiple of them will have a big playoffs at the same time. They'll be really tough to match up against for any opponent. If you have two lines that are, you know, elite and going at the same time. I mean, the, the first Pittsburgh cup, uh, 2016, they had three lines going, you know, Phil Kessel's line, um, it was their third line at that point in time. And, and they were, you know, they, they, they were, they had, it, they had it really going. So, um, I think that that is kind of the strategy here. What I wonder though, is so you can have that plan internally, but, mm. Depending on the external reaction, I mean, can you stick to that plan? That 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 remains to be seen. But certainly, I expect like it would be stunning. And in fact, like it's almost not worth talking about. Like I don't see any of their major players being traded in season. Like anything is possible, but to me, that's very unlikely. I really do believe they're going to give them another year. You know, there'll be other moves made around the, the fringes, so to speak, or in the margins, but. You know, I think that they're going to try to set this up for these guys to have one more crack at it together. Um, and so externally, I think a lot of us look this, at this as make or break because I just think at a certain point, you, you risk alienating your customers, right? And, you know, it, this is not a Toronto problem. This is actually happening around the league, but, you know, the Leafs haven't sold out a game yet of the, of the three they've had at Scotiabank Arena. Like that, that would have been unimaginable, honestly. If you'd have told me that before 2020, um, you know, I would have thought something went horribly wrong. And so, yeah, look, there's still financial heavyweights in the league, but I do think there will be tremendous public pressure for change if if this isn't a season where there's there's some degree of progress. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't blame them. And and I, I think of this all the time. If you are a team or just anybody, you go through enough hardships in your life and you haven't necessarily done enough to, to kind of cut out of it. Anytime something goes wrong, 
you it's 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 pretty easy for you to fall in that oh here we go again mindset. And I think of the Toronto Maple Leafs and what they've endured over the last few years. This is not a team that you know they're just trying to reach their peak, like they're just starting to get good all of a sudden. They've been to the first round year after year after year, loss after loss after loss. And now you're seeing the, the, and I'm bringing up the Zamboni driver thing again, not to make a joke here, but you lose a game like that, like that, that stench is just going to follow that franchise around for however long. I think of the Atlanta Falcons. I think I point them out all the time. And I think of them as the same thing as the Toronto Maple Leafs. After they lose 28 to three, they had a 28 to three lead and they blow it to the New England Patriots. Ever since that loss, that has just followed them forever, and they've just been mediocre since. And I just feel like with the Toronto Maple Leafs, it's kind of more or less the same thing. They've just found a way to go deeper and deeper down into that drudge of crap that's there. And I get that it's only six games, but something just has to be done with this franchise. And I think the fact that we're starting to see, you know, it's one thing from from outside to see people just be uh, upset. But we're starting to see people who are indifferent as well. Like, and that's not good. Right. You lose some public faith. And, you know, I think what's funny, if, if you were working for the Leafs, you'd probably point out, you know, Alex Ovechkin's drafted, what, 2004? I think Nicholas Backstrom was 2006. I can't remember Kuznetsov, but it was beyond that. And it took those guys until 2018 to win a cup together as kind of the core of the Capitals, right? You know, the, the Tampa Bay Lightning, it was 08 for Stamkos, 09 for Hedman. They don't win their first cup till 2020. Now, you know, the difference with both of those teams is they did win playoff series along the way. In Tampa's case, uh, they were in the 2015 Stanley Cup final, multiple losses in game seven of the Eastern Conference final. So they were at least truly knocking at the door before breaking through. And, and so, you know, that's why I won't say the Leafs have to win the cup this year or it's going to be a reckoning. But I, I do feel like it's getting to the point where they have to win around. Uh, like that, that to me seems the minimum. I think if that happens, it will restore some faith, that, you know, locally and in this fan base. But you know, one of the unique things that all the Canadian teams face is they just they have a different. I'm not saying that their fans care more, but in some cases, their fans care more, or there's more of them, or there's more media interest in what their day to day team is doing, and so there's there's sort of more amplification of the reactions around what goes on, and it's it's definitely a factor. No different than if you're a New York Yankee, you know, compared to a Kansas City Royal. Like there's there's a different spotlight on someone who plays for the Yankees and someone who plays for the Royals. And so, you know, all of which is to say, I I, I just I do think it could reach a a, degree, a fever pitch, a, a, a level of noise that they can't ignore if if there isn't something that's changed. And you can either blame the noise or you can hold up a mirror and, and look at yourself. And, you know, I, I think that that's really if you're a player, like you shouldn't be on if you could avoid Twitter, Instagram. Uh, listening to the Chris Johnson show, listening to Hockey Night in Canada, like you, you should really just try to stay in your own world and, and get it done. But if they don't get it done, man, like if they don't take a step, if they keep, if, you know, if they string along losses here, like I think it, it, it's not an overstatement to say like Kyle Dubas and, and Brendan Shan and the least front office will be under immense, immense pressure to make some kind of change. Selfishly, uh, if somehow any members of the Toronto Maple Leafs organization are listening to the CJ show, uh, I would implore you all to continue listening because that's just good for us. But I also understand where you're coming from. The media. I'm just, I'm just it, saying, that, yeah, we don't matter, right? Like we're we're commenting and reporting on what we know about the team as best we can. We're giving a perspective on it, but you know, the guys in the room, like they know the truth. Like somewhere, in, I'd I'd actually love to know. It'd be great to be like to have a beer with them or something. And be like, like how did seven one happen? 
like like what happens in that moment i mean it's it's hard to understand right even as a media member i've watched a lot of games like it's just it's hard to imagine that that game slipping from their hands as much as it did and i think i think that's i'd love to know i guess what morgan riley was saying was we have to prove that we can break our bad habits like what are those bad habits what's going on there um where's the fragility you know why why does that happen again you can lose games but to lose in that manner i think deserved some of the response that that you saw on social media yeah, like, but like now that like if if we were lucky enough to have said beers with said players, like would they say were they were they hurt? Was it the fact that they that there were some issues traveling into Pittsburgh that day or that night? Like, or sorry, that day it wouldn't be that night, but you know what I mean? Like something because because it's it's pretty weird for them to lose as bad as they did. Was there anything else on the Leafs debacle that you want to mention before? Uh, and I mean, I know we could do a full episode on this, but there are other stuff we do need to get to, but is there anything else you want to bring up about the Leafs before we move on to the next topic? No, I've had my fill. Let's see what this week brings. I'm sure we'll be talking with them as soon as Thursday. <laughs> yeah, I, I so, bet we will. I don't um, think, I don't think we've, we've finished feasting on that, that particular topic. No way. We have oh, 75, 76 games left to go uh, for the Toronto Maple Leafs. And of course for other teams, but for the Toronto Maple Leafs and the story that, uh, they have it will definitely be back in terms of our discussions of a conversation here on the CJ show. Uh, one other thing uh, that came up on uh, mostly on social media on Monday, uh, a really interesting and kind of sad uh, story from a uh, former NHLer Colin Wilson, who uh, wrote a piece for the Players Tribune uh, about his battles with addiction, uh, specifically with cocaine. Uh, he mentioned the different times he used cocaine as an nhl player and uh, he previously wrote an article for the players tribune uh about living with ocd and it was really interesting to see him begin that piece by essentially saying that he wasn't necessarily honest with all the readers uh of that piece considering the fact he did not even acknowledge the fact that he was dealing with substance abuse and of course this is being written in light of uh, what happened with a former nhler jimmy hayes uh, who passed away uh, because essentially of su- substance abuse. Uh, what did you think of that piece from Colin Wilson and the different things he was talking about in the story? Well, my first thought is it's at least one small positive um, that can be taken from Jimmy Hayes' death. And of course, there's no positive. I mean, that just was a pure tragedy to have someone die that young with two young kids. You know, I didn't know Jimmy, but I listened to him on the Missing Curfew podcast a bit and and you know, you just, you have trouble putting your mind around it, but his, you know, his family is, his widow, Kristen, his father, you know, were brave enough to share with the Boston Globe, essentially that, that he had died of fentanyl overdose, um, you know, and that he had battled basically some substance abuse issues. And, you know, his dad had at one point had tried to help him and, you know, wasn't able to, to quite get through to him. And, and, you know, I think that that takes tremendous courage in the wake of his death, but Colin Wilson says, I read that and it was like, I was honest with you, but only to a point in my previous Players Tribune article. And so I'm going to follow up and tell you the whole story. And so, you know, I, I just hope that this is, that there's some there's something in this that, that really is destigmatizing things a little bit, Julian, that, you know, more and more people are talking about the stuff. I mean, we, we all keep saying that, like, you know, let's talk is, is, is you know, a hashtag that, that bounces around a fair amount. Yeah. But, you know, I think we're actually starting to see it in hockey, right? And, and I know we talked to Robin Leonard on a previous episode, um, you know, some other players, you know, with Carey Price stepping away, um, you know, Jonathan Drew had stepped away last year from the Canadians and has come back. And so, you know, I do think we're at least seeing a little bit more openness on these issues. And, you know, I, I just want a spotlight that. I mean, I, we probably should have talked about Jimmy Hayes' family coming forward, 
you know, that was just slipped my mind at the time, but you know, that, that happened a week or so ago. And, um, you know, really brave of that family. And, you know, today I'm actually wearing a shirt. It says it's not alone. Uh, it's my buddy, Tyler Smith. He, he survived the, the Humboldt uh, bus crash. And, you know, this is a company he started and it's all to raise issues for mental health. I think particularly for men's mental health to, to, to talk about things. And so, you know, I, I just think that it's important that, you know, we, we give our respect to Colin Wilson, to the, to the Hayes family and, you know, really to anyone else out there that maybe is sitting on a story in the hockey world. I think that all of these things, it's just a little pebble. Like it, it's, it's not always clear how much maybe you're, you're, you're helping, but I really do believe that there's power in the volume of this and the, and, and then making it more normal. And so, you know, that, that's, you know, really not a, a lot to break down. I mean, it's heartbreaking to read some of those details. I mean, Colin Wilson basically said, look, that could have been me as Jimmy Hayes. You know, he, in his case, he's actually been sober now for more than two years. Uh, and so he's he started to address some of his issues and, and, you know, clearly feels fortunate in his life that he got to a place where he was able to get that far. And, you know, Jimmy Hayes didn't get that opportunity. But, you know, I, I don't think any of these things should be viewed as isolated incidences because clearly there's there's some deeper underlying issues there. Absolutely. And that's very well said on your part. Uh, we're not NHL players. Uh, we are only as connected as we can be to the NHL world through our roles as reporters and insider respectively. I just hope that for players who see whatever substances are being thrown out there, whether it's cocaine for whatever use or, or Ambien or whatever, uh, if there is some issue with those sorts of things, whether it's happening to them or whether it's happening to their teammates. I just hope that the resources that are there in place uh, get better if they're not already sufficient enough for them to tell someone about what's going on or for them to cope or for them to get better. I, I, I just hope for their sakes, you know, it's very easy to just look at the league and think, Hey, well, you know what? They're not good enough. And, and look back at some of the stuff that Robin Leonard was saying a few weeks ago, which he has yeah, a very valid point to, to make whatever points he wished to make. I just hope for the sake of, because at the end of the day, these players are people at the end of the day. I just hope that the resources that are available to them, if they are not sufficient, there's a way for them to get sufficient so that way we can avoid more Jimmy Hayes. Uh, if we could avoid uh, these Jimmy Hayes stories, excuse me, uh, from happening and and and, oper- and people like Colin Wilson can uh, essentially, you know, talk a little bit more openly about what's happened to them and, you know, forewarn other people from going down similar paths and, helping them just to get better because it's just heartbreaking to read and heartbreaking to consume these stories from these players. And I just hope we see less and less of it, not just with NHL players, but with just people in general, because substance abuse is very serious. Sure. And look, this isn't an NHL only issue, right? I mean, this there's people across every walk of life and, and different professions that battle these issues, but you know, I think, professional athletes can, can be of hope to the fans too, right? They're, you know, their, their, their words maybe come out a little bit louder. They get broadcast on certain platforms and, you know, even just having this conversation, I have to believe it's going to help make the resources better. Like Colin Wilson pointed out that the NHL and the NHLPA program helped him, uh, mm-hmm. but he was just saying that there's still room for more. Like he wasn't coming out to criticize that program and, you know, and it's the same program that's been around for a number of years that, that, you know, numerous players back to Brian McGratton and Jordan Tutu participated in. Obviously, Jonathan Duran, it's where Carey Price has gone to. I mean, you know, there's a, there's a lot of players, in, some of whom we never even find out they're, they were part of it. If they do it in the offseason, they don't have to leave their team. Right. Um, you know, there's a level of discretion about all that. And so, you know, I think the resources have been there, but there's there's still more that can go on. And, 
Yeah. Or just tell everyone to keep shining their light, man, and talk about what you've been through because I do think it can help uh, create better circumstances for, for the next generation to come. It's okay to not be okay. And uh, you are not alone. And uh, I think that's a good way for us to kind of segue from that into uh, another topic. I'm really glad that we were able to bring it up here on the CJ show. Again, it's okay to not be okay. And you are not alone. Um, one other thing before we get to the Ask CJ segment, it is Monday after all. So we are going to get to questions from the Discord and from Twitter, some really interesting ones. Do we have any general thoughts on uh, one player who, surprisingly, we haven't really had like any kind of segment on or, you know, just that t- haven't talked about his team at all? It's the Edmonton Oilers. And I know the Florida Panthers are really good, but the Edmonton Oilers have been perfect to start off this season. Do you have any general thoughts on the way they've gone about their year so far? Well, it does seem that Zach Hyman was exactly what the doctor ordered for that team. I think that, Mm -hmm. you know, just getting a player who plays the way he does is just, it's such a compliment to their top six. And they've, they've kind of jumbled around the top two lines at various points. He hasn't been with McDavid the entire season, Uh, but even if he's playing with Ryan Nugent Hopkins on a second line, you know, I I think that he adds a different element. You know, obviously he's been quite productive as has a lot of, you know, the Oilers just scored a lot of goals. That's, that's the one reason they've started unbeaten so far. And yeah, I think, look, I'm going to reserve judgment because, you know, five games or six games, one, you know, the, way, the same way we can't bury a team over that. I, I don't think we should get too carried away um, because, you know, I, I do think the others are going to have to make some additions through this season to even give themselves a better chance to set up to try and contend. But, you know, when you have McDavid and, and Dreisaitl on the level they're on and, and check this, Julian, I just looked this up for fun the other day. Sure. But David's last 82 regular season games, he has 51 goals and 151 points. Like it's like a friggin' video game, man. And like, we all know how good he is, but I do think we're almost at the point with Connor McDavid where maybe, you know, you almost lose sight of how good he is, even just historically. Like I'd be surprised. I believe Sidney Crosby's best season was 120 points. And I'd be surprised if we went through and he had any 82 game segment that was quite on that level. Maybe I'm wrong. I didn't, didn't actually follow through on this, but, you know, my point is, is we're seeing an offensive player that hasn't hit the league in the last 20 years, basically at this level. And so when you have that guy, of course, you got a chance to compete, but I love the addition of Hyman there. I still think that's a team that's going to go out and add a goaltender before the trade deadline. I, I could see them making a move to try to bolster the blue line. There's still some questions about their blue line, but you know, look, they're in a, a what I view as a bit of a soft division, in the Pacific, they're off to a great start. And, you know, some of those additions they made in the offseason really are paying immediate dividends. And so they're feeling pretty darn good after, you know, they spent the weekend in Vegas, too. I don't know if you realize that they won on Friday they night, did. but they, they didn't leave Vegas for another couple of days. So it might might be a tough week this week. I don't know how how what the rules were there from Dave Tippett and the management. But, uh, you know, you start five and oh, and then you get a weekend in Vegas. I mean, that's that's National League right there. For sure. But I think they also deserve it, right? Like, I mean, I think they got to hang out the Eagles Raiders game over the weekend in Vegas. Like, do your thing, man. Hang out as long as it's, you know, in moderation and you keep the eyes on the prize, right? Well, look, the schedule only gives every team so many breaks. And there's different ways teams, you know, approach those when you have like five or six days between games just kind of built in. But yeah, the guys should have some fun, too. There's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of there's a lot of times you play three and four or four and six and and you're not doing anything beyond just resting, recovering and playing, um, you know, so when you get it the other way, you, you should have a little bit of fun, too. And I think it's a little easier when you start the year the way they did. If they were one and four out of the gate, I'm not sure that trip would have uh, would have would have passed the test there. 
Nah, especially in the division that they're in. It also helps, too, that uh, Vegas is not necessarily off to the greatest of starts either. But, yeah, you're right. There's a lot of racetrack to be run, but uh, good on the Edmonton Oilers to at least be off to a good start. Good on the Florida Panthers, too. I will shout them out. Uh, It's time for uh, Ask CJ. Got a handful of questions here for you. Uh, Let's start with one from Discord with a situation that – I'm actually kind of surprised it's kind of, you know, kind of fizzled out as the regular season started. And I'm just curious for your insight, whether you have any or not. Uh, this is from Josh Poppy on Discord. What is the latest on the Vladimir Tarasenko St. Louis situation? He seems to be producing okay. Just wondering if everything has been smoothed over. I think it's been smoothed over to a point. You know, there, there were trade discussions on him in the offseason. And, you know, I think that he was open to moving on at that point in time. But it didn't happen. And, you know, much like any player, especially who carries that kind of cap hit over $7 million, you know, it's, it's going to be harder to make that trade in season. And so I think at a certain point here, everyone recognized that they were better together in the moment. And so, you know, maybe some of the deep underlying feelings might still yet crop up. Maybe you see him moved next offseason if this is a healthy year and he produces, um, you know, continues to produce and, and give a team a reason to, to think about bringing him in. Um, but you know, I, I don't get the sense that, you know, especially with St. Louis looking to me, like they're going to, you know, have a team that to believe in, I, you know, I don't think they're going to be giving them away just for the sake of it in, in season. So, you know, I would say more than likely you're, you're going to see him, uh, remain a blue for, for this year. And then, you know, we might see that situation revisited again, uh, come the summertime. Really interesting when he's healthy, he's, he's proven to be a pretty good, pretty great goal scorer in the national hockey league. I was very surprised when when I thought I thought Seattle was going to take him in the expansion draft and they didn't take him. And I get he has the money that he has. But again, when he's healthy, he's a really good player in the National Hockey League. So I think they, they I got Vince you. Dunn, though. And Vince Dunn, that's true. He's been one of the early guys that have caught my eye with the Kraken. Like, I think that was a sneaky, good pickup. You know, he could never really crack You know, for any length of time. He, we could never get into St. Louis's top four. But, you know, with the crack and, you know, he's maybe one of those players that's getting played a little higher in the lineup with the new opportunity with a new team. And maybe that's going to look like a smarter decision than Tarasenko would have been. Okay. Uh, I know this is not technically part of the questions. Uh, did you see the 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 banner retirement thing for the, the Kraken head over number 32? Did you think that was cool? Did you think that was corny? What did you think of it? Uh, I thought it was a bit corny, if I'm being honest. Uh, I mean, yeah. I mean, I. I don't have a strong opinion on it. I wasn't like repulsed by it or thinking like, who are these guys to do that? But <laughs> I thought it was a little, I just thought it was a little strange. Like I, I'm not really, I, I think you should, I think organizations should be really picky and choosy with the numbers they retire. I think some teams, maybe the bar isn't high enough and then they just do it because it's a good night. It gets fans in the building. It you know allows you to be nostalgic. And so I feel like as a new team, one of the benefits is you're not encumbered with that. And so are you telling me that if like they get the number one overall pick and that player really wants to wear 32, like is he really can't, it seems, seems nuts to me. Um, I mean, hot but take, everything, but- everything the Kraken have done though, like I like, so like, I'm willing to like, sort of like give them a pass for this because I think they've been an awesome organization in addition to league. So, you know, I can look past that one little indiscretion. I guess hot. Yeah, I mean, unless you're a goalie, I guess I, I can't see any reason why an out player would want to play with 32, I could understand a goalie, but like, uh, like I, I can't think of any player in the history of the league who's died, who's who's just like, yo, I, I really, I'm dying to wear number 32 on the back of my jersey. I, uh, I think, I think this was this was cool enough for them to get away with. 
And uh, yeah, I, I don't I don't see the big deal with that. Yeah. And, and I should say I really didn't have a strong reaction to it, but I was thinking like that's kind of a weird decision. That's all. Yeah. Yeah. Also, uh, if any of the rumblings I've heard about uh, their next home game are going to be true, if you had thoughts about the banner raising that they had over the weekend, it looks as if they might do something that's uh, pretty interesting for their next game. But uh, I, I, I'm, I, I may have said too much with that. Anyway, whoa, whoa, next question. Whoa, whoa, whoa. No, 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 no. I actually no. don't know what you're talking about. And the audience nope. maybe doesn't. So maybe you should share a little bit more. Uh, I heard they might. Just just some stuff that's kind of gone around. It may be true. It may not be true. Uh, just in talk with a few people, it looks as if it could be happening. I, I haven't. It hasn't been officially confirmed. It's just rumblings. Okay. They might. They might do like another banner raising for something else, and it may commemorate something that happened in C- for Seattle a long, long time ago. And also I think some sort of reference to the Canadians uh, Metropolitan's Cup final or something like that. Perhaps. Maybe Which was 1919, it, it, right? Was discontinued because of the Spanish I think it was like, flu or like 17. I think they won in like 1917. I, I know it, it just happens to be convenient. The Canadians are going to be in town for that. That again, those are just rumblings. Don't, uh, don't uh, crucify me. If it doesn't end up being true. I did talk to a few people. Well, at least one right. person, you know, I tried to just see what was out there. I'm not supposed to be the insider of this show. It's supposed to be you. Right, but you can't be dropping these like little references and think you're going to get away with it. I mean, the audience comes to the show because they want to know what we know. So you got to share. That's true. That's very fair. I have every right to be called out here. Anyway, uh, next question uh, from uh, regarding the Chicago Blackhawks. Uh, there's actually two questions I picked up from uh, with regards to Chicago in the Q and A. Uh, this one's from Shailen Brady on Twitter. How soon is too soon to overreact on what the Chicago Blackhawks are going to be this season? Is it just taking time for the group to mesh? Or are they logistically flawed? I believe as of now, they have yet to record a regular season. Oh, sorry, a, a, a win this regular season. Excuse me. It's not too soon right now. It really isn't. I mean, it, look, they make the big trade in the offseason. They give up a first-round pick. When you give up a first-round pick in the Seth Jones trade, I believe they give up two first-round picks, if I'm not mistaken. Man. Um, but if you give up first-round picks, I mean, and you sign the player to an eight-year extension and – like that's a sign to me. You think your rebuild is getting there, you know that you're you're done stockpiling high end talent. And so, if they go and have a really low finish this year, you know, and if they don't, I think that pick that they the second pick given away is is lottery protected. But if you don't win the lottery and it's like fifth overall, mm-hmm. it, that's just a high asset to give up. Even if you win the lottery, then it shifts to the following season where it's it's not lottery protected and. They, you know, the, the Blue Jackets just have that pick. I mean, that's an awful position to be in. All of which is to say, they clearly were setting up to be more competitive this year. So it's only six games. They haven't had a lead in a game. And, you know, there's sort of time to turn around. But I, I've just, I think they look like a flawed team, like from a roster construction standpoint. And so for me, I, I don't think it's too soon to overreact or to react. To, to be worried if, if you care about the Blackhawks. I don't see an obvious move they can really make to pull themselves out of this. I know some people are talking about maybe firing the head coach, but you know that, that would feel strange to me given that you could have done that in the offseason and then you come back and play six games and then you're like, yeah, now we've seen enough. Um, so I think they're in a tough spot. I, I don't see a ton of reason to think this is going to just shift around 
I mean, maybe Mark Andre Fleury. I I don't know. I'm trying to I'm trying to sketch out in my mind, you know, what could really dramatically change to to alter where they're headed. But I I, I don't have an easy answer to that one. So I I don't think it's too soon to react at all right now. Mm. Are the Toronto Maple Leafs uh, slump busters potentially for Chicago? I believe those two teams play against each other later on this week. I don't have a crystal ball, man. But uh, that's fair. That's no matter fair. what happens in a Leafs game in Carolina, that still still be an interesting game Wednesday because. You know, I, I yes, that there's two teams that need a win on Wednesday night. Yes, uh, that's going to be a very interesting contest between those two teams. Uh, the second Chicago question uh, that I was able to pull up is a bit more serious, obviously, to do with the uh, the allegations surrounding uh, the team that have come over them over the last few months. Uh, this is from Eight Bit Hawk Fan on Discord. Have any of the other teams' front offices been talking off the record about the stories surrounding Chicago's front office scandals? Not with me, but that's not to say they aren't doing it, right? I'm, I'm just one person out there working as sources. So, you know, I, I can't say to what degree that is or isn't being discussed. It's just, it's hard to say. But, you know, that hasn't been a main talking point among the people I speak with. You know, obviously it was in the industry, though, through the summer, through the Stanley Cup final. Um, you know, that when the story first really started to get legs and, you know, Rick West had a TSN, you know, some of the Katie Strang and some of the reporters at The Athletic were, were, were pushing uh, for info on this and, and really bringing a lot to light. Uh, and so those allegations, you know, I don't think they're being swept under the rug or anything. If that's maybe the, I'm not sure what the implication of the question is exactly, but um, you know, it'll be, you know, we, we are basically waiting now for this investigation that's being conducted to, to come up with some results. And then at that point in time, the league and or the franchise has a decision to make about what is uncovered uh, and what's proven to be true and, and what actions are taken against maybe individuals that might've been responsible or even the league to the organization. You know, I think that it, when that happens, of course, it will again be a big discussion point. And I think, you know, hopefully something the other teams can learn about, but at this point in time, other than what I've read, you know, on TSN and through some of the reporting done there with the, the allegations, you know, it's hard for, I, I don't know everything that happened and, and let's hope that investigation is as independent as it's said to be. And that the truth comes out because I think that's, that that's, that that's, that's the best outcome here, right. Is, is fi- figuring out what happened. And then the, I'm sure if, if what's alleged to have happened, happened, I'm sure there's, there's going to be some, some fallout. Yeah. That's what has, that's what has to happen. I, and look, the allegations are allegations, uh, with regards to what happened with the Chicago Blackhawks organization and 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 Brad Aldrich and and the unnamed players involved, if they are true, they're disgusting, and I hope justice is followed through here. Uh, the next, and let me be clear. I believe look, survivors. You know, I I, I understand. I've you know I've learned more about these issues, and I you know I'm not trying to call into question the allegations. It's just you know there is a process. I do think the league would have to go through before levying any kind of punishment. And part of that is corroborating what's what's out there. Absolutely. I didn't take it as, as you trying to go the other way at all. And I don't think anyone watching this would take that as at all. But it is very important that we continue to discuss these stories uh, and uh, hope to seek the truth out of all of them. Uh, the next question, the next ones are a little bit lighter. Uh, this one is also from Discord. Uh, Lucas. What was your, I think you've, I feel like you've answered this question indirectly on a previous episode, but uh, I'll put this up anyway, because a few people want to know anyway, what was your favorite team growing up? I was a Maple Leafs fan. I grew up an hour from Toronto in a town called Coburg and, you know, primarily grew up watching, basically I grew up in an era where you couldn't get every game. And so grew up watching the local team, 
I went to three games as a fan ever before I was a journalist um, as a kid. And yeah, that, that was the, that was the team I, I grew up for. I was a big Doug Gilmore fan when he got traded to Toronto. This would be before your time, Julian, but he took them on a two big playoff runs in a row, you know, after basically they didn't have any playoff runs in the, the years I was alive prior to that. Uh, and so that was a big moment of my youth. And, you know, I think a lot of people then say, what's, you know, why are you, are you still a fan? Is that still in you? I think it, it goes away really naturally is, is my, always my answer to that question. Because part of being a fan, you're almost like believe in laundry, right? Like you're cheering for this logo on the front of a sweater. And, you know, as much as I, I think in today's day and age, we, we actually do get to know the, the players better than even when I was a kid. It just, there wasn't, there wasn't social media. There wasn't a way for these guys to broadcast their interests and their likes to interact maybe so directly with fans. But, you know, once you get behind the curtain and you see what goes on, I just think naturally it kind of leaves you the whole idea fandom. Like I've, I've actually thought this through. Like I've thought like, let's just say for fun, tomorrow I stop being a hockey journalist. I re-enter society. I go work at an insurance company, whatever, something that isn't going to happen. But if it did happen, I was like, I don't think I would still become a fan of any team again. I mean, mm. there's no way to know, but I really think like it's almost just beaten out of me. Like I, I just even watch hockey differently. Um, you know, like I'm, when I watch any two teams play, I'm, I'm looking for specific things, which players are playing together, matchups, you know, guys that are catching my eye, maybe storylines, you know, you're listening to the local broadcast because as much as I know the league, there's still players, especially early in the season on teams that I've, that I've never heard of or don't know much about. And so I find myself cheering for the people in the league. I like a lot. Um, but it, it's hard to say like one team or another, I care who, who wins. And so. Yeah, that's. I, I think it's the second part of the question that wasn't asked is if you were a fan of a team, then why wouldn't you still be a fan? And I, I really just think some of the, myth, the sort of the mythology of sports goes away, right? Like I'm a Dallas Cowboys fan. I've never, ever covered the NFL. I don't know any of the players personally. I don't know who's a jerk and who isn't. I just watch the game on Sunday and get irrationally excited or upset. Like that's, that's really as simple as it is. And I think that's what fandom is for a lot of people. And when it's your job to sort of know the people and to know how things work, I think it's natural to kind of lose some of that, that, I don't know. It's like the magic of sports. Like there's a certain magic to it, right? I still appreciate what the athletes do. I respect these guys, but it's hard to cheer for, for any one team or another. Okay. But what about, play? I mean, you kind of touched on it a little bit, but like, would you still at least be like fans of like players? And like, I get you're, you're in tune with them a little bit more than I am, but like, if you see like Alexander Ovechkin play, you're still going to get excited, obviously for the player. Sure. That for definitely. And the other part is when we say go, like I've been to the last 15 Stanley cup finals and every single year I'm there, there's players or maybe executives or scouts or whatever on each team I know. And like when one team wins or the other, I'm happy for those people. Cause I recognize, I mean, the reason you see grown men cry when they lift the Stanley cup is because for so many of them, I mean, obviously the playoffs themselves are hard. I think the sport is hard, you know, physically, mentally, there's a, you have to grind through so much to get to that point where you can win, but it's also like the culmination of a family sacrifices in a lot of cases or, or, you know, other things that have gone on. And, and, and so, yeah, like I was happy to see Victor Hedman raise the Stanley cup. Like he's just someone I've always had good interactions with. I've met his, his folks a bit, you know, I respect the hell out of him. And that guy played a lot of years in the league, I think 10 or 11 years in the league before he won. And so to see him win was cool. Like I'm not up in the crowd wearing a headman Jersey, but 
you know, <laughs> I, I can still like my point is I can still feel something in this cold, dark heart when I see him get to win. And it's not just him. And and it wasn't like there was no one on the Dallas stars say, I didn't want to see win too. Like that's, that's kind of how it is. It's just at any given time, you know, you know, X amount of people in a certain organization. And, you know, when they get to that stage, like it's cool to see them live one of their, their greatest professional triumphs that they're ever going to have. You know, if you can't feel something for that, I mean, what, what are you doing it for? Right. And so I won't hide from the fact there's individuals that I'm happy to see have success, whether it be players, coaches, what have you in any given moment. But like, I'm not watching any game going like, yay for this team. Even honestly, I'm a Canadian. Like even when I've covered international hockey, like that's, I'm not even cheering for Canada. Like, honestly, like I don't really, it's not to say like, I'm not cheering against them either. I just think you, you do it enough. Like I I covered seven world hockey championships. I've been to two Olympics, Vancouver and Sochi. Like world hockey championships are about 10 games. Like I probably covered almost a hundred international games. I covered the world cup of hockey in 2016. Like I was just as excited to watch team North America play as anyone else. And I guess there's Canadians on that team, but it wasn't a nationalistic thing. It was just loving the story, loving the the vibe of what they were doing. Um, or, you know, when it gets to the final, it's Canada versus Europe. Like I wasn't like fist pumping when Brad Marchand scores a goal. Like, I, I just think that you get to a certain point, like, I hate to say this because this might make me sound bad, but like every game I've ever been to one team wins and one team loses. And there's a story on either side of why that happened or what it means. And I've, you know, spent half my life now writing and telling those stories. It's, I don't try to, I guess, presuppose the outcome so much as I just, whatever happens, happens. And then we react to it. So I, I'm totally with you for, you know, regular NHL games. I don't want to spend too much time on this point because there are other questions and I'm sure we've long passed the bell, but I am intrigued about how Ding. reporter. <laughs> if we have Jesse put, doesn't forget. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't think uh, I'm sure we've passed it already, but I'm really intrigued at how reporters uh, cover these international competitions, knowing that there is international pride on the line. Right. And, and look, I'm just, just like we're both hockey fans. We've definitely been at some point rooting in for, for team Canada sitting on our couches. I remember watching 2010 and that's still one of the greatest moments I've seen in terms of, of Canadian sport in this country. Uh, I, I wonder what that would be like if I'm ever blessed one day to, to go cover team Canada or this United States or some other country at the Olympic games or anything like that. So I am really intrigued at, at how that translates over to the international competition. That's, that's well, really interesting insight. Some of it's just practical though, man. Like I, so in 2010 Olympics, I was literally sitting near center ice in about the sixth row. I don't know Jeez. if you realize this, but for, for whatever reason, an in international competition, they don't put us in the press box. We literally, they kill all these seats in the lower bowl and that's where they set up the media tables. That final is my favorite game I've ever covered. Um, just cause the hockey was amazing. The buildup for, you know, really years, but certainly the, the 10 days or two weeks of the tournament was tremendous. The atmosphere is tremendous. You get the storybook ending, uh, at least if you're Canadian and, and being at games in Canada, like, like the whole day was surreal, but that day when city Crosby scores, I literally have to file a story like in real time. Yeah. And so you're not watching that like a fan. Like I'm not, I'm not with all my friends in a living room with, you know, drinking a beer, or, you know, screaming at a TV. I mean, I'm in the building and there's people screaming around me, but I've got to think about what's my lead. And I got to like the second the goal goes in you're doing this, right. You got to file. And so I think part of it is you're watching the game differently. And like when you're watching a game like that, of course, you know, I, 
I don't have the copy of it anymore, unfortunately, but I would have had a version of the story. You know, Canada's up 2-1 and, and they, you know, Zach Prize scores with what a minute left in the game. But I had to be ready to file if Zach Prize didn't score that goal. So I've probably written one version of the story. Then it gets blown up by that goal. And this, you know, this happens. But then so I spend the whole intermission probably reworking what I had and making it so that I could file depending which team scored. Like, I guess because you're working, you're just not experiencing it the same way a fan is. And and you know, I think that that is a big part of it too, is I, I'm rarely at a game just to watch a game. I'm usually there doing some work, whether it's TV or writing or both, you know, quite often. And so you almost have your work brain on uh, when you're, when you're doing something like that. And, and that, that probably contributes to this too. That's, that's actually why I've wondered Julian, if, okay, if you remove me from that situation long enough, if I just started going to games and I'm not working them, maybe, maybe I could recover fandom, but, but I don't think so. So I'm stuck with the blue Jays and the Dallas Cowboys are my two teams that I, get irrationally excited or upset over well look i mean it's not as if it killed your your sports fandom you're still allowed to be fans of other teams and hey look uh, if you want to go in on on teams that make you feel irrationally happy or angry i'm a manchester united and new york jets fan the jets I'm, i'm dead but manchester united if you're a united fan and you saw what happened to them against liverpool over the weekend you know oh my god you know what i'm i'm mad i even brought that up i'm not yeah why don't take yourself there man Goodness gracious. Okay. Uh, next question. Which NHL player is the most fun to interact with? This is from DK Ginger, du- Ginger Dude on Twitter. DK Ginger Dude. That's a really interesting Twitter handle. Uh, there's a long list. You know, Brad Marchand is a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, like, likes to have some expense that, rep- you know, some fun at reporters expense sometimes, but I never feel like it's like, too personal or anything. Like I think he he's just kind of a goofy guy at times. Patrick Line can be tremendous interview, uh, depending on what what mood you find him in or the time. Um fun. Like I, I wonder how we're defining that. Cause you know, a lot of like there's a lot of players I respect to interview because they're so introspective. Like they just do such a good job of explaining you know, how they view a situation, how they felt when something happened, maybe explaining plays or, or what's going on with the team or the game. Like, you know, that's fun in sort of the the nerdy way of me doing my job and giving me a better understanding of what's happening, but, you know, maybe isn't as fun loving in terms of being goofy. Um, but there's definitely more, I would say there's more, there's more good and fun than bad for sure. Mm-hmm. There's, there's very few truly poor interviews. I mean, the other reason is maybe I don't have a quick answer to come to my mind is just because, in Zoom, a lot of this is lost too, right? Like in, in sort of the the circumstances we're operating right now, it's it's not it's not the best opportunity for either side to show their personality, or and so I, I feel a little disconnected from the league or the players uh, compared to how I would have you know prior to March 2020. Um, but I gave you a few few names there, and if I think of more, I'll, I'll, I'll let you know. Absolutely. Uh, last question for you from Leo Capstick on Twitter. Hey Chris, glad to see you over on TSN. A great addition to their insiders crew. With the arenas now starting to get to max capacity, resulting in a boost in a boost in hockey-related revenue, is there any preliminary discussions between league and the players' association to remove the cap freeze or leave it to to 2025, 2026, regardless? Well, I don't think there's much reason for discussion because basically the agreement that the players association and the league made in June 2020, the MOU, it's called, which is adding on to the CBA it basically accounts for what happens. And essentially the players have racked up a massive debt to the owners during this period of time because they got paid more of their contracts than they would have under the previous 
split of revenues because the revenues were low during the pandemic. And then the idea is now the owners are, are getting a disproportionate amount because they're being paid back for that. And it's not until that money is fully repaid that we're going to see big leaps in the salary cap. And so you're going to see it go up by a million dollars each season for the mm-hmm. next probably two to three, um, you know, based on forecasts of where revenues will be. And then it's probably somewhere about three years down the line, maybe four, where, where that amount is repaid. And then we might see a $10 million jump in the cap or whatever. I mean, it's it's really impossible to say because we don't yet know what kind of financial benefit that Seattle will bring to the league. Like I'm anticipating it'll be positive, but, you know, they played one home game as we're recording this. It's a little too too soon to say, you know, how them coming around is going to boost revenues overall. And, you know, look, there's still some ticketing issues around the league too. So, you know, getting fans back in the arenas has been a little slower, I think, than the NHL would have wanted in, in basically every market, not just one or two that we might spotlight. And so the, the best way to look at this is we're only going to see very small cap growth for two to three seasons. Hopefully by then you get back to where the players have paid off the debt and they're, and then they're splitting the pie again, 50, 50, and the pie gets bigger by then. You know, that's, that's basically the hope. And if that's the case, as I would expect it would be, then we'll see a much bigger cap growth. And it's going to be good for young guys entering the league now that are ready to get those big contracts. Cause you know, if you're there right when the, the salary cap goes up 10 or 15 million, we saw this in the NBA a few years ago, you know, some mm-hmm. guys are going to get monster deals if, you know, the timing might be right for, for some players, put it that way. CJ, we've run through all the questions on uh, this week's edition of Ask CJ. We've run through all the different uh, topics, including a lengthy discussion on the Toronto Maple Leafs. That's going to do it for the Monday edition of the CJ show. We did it, partner. We did. We went over 30 minutes, but we did it. By We're George, back on we our it. bullshit. We are back on our <laughs> bullshit here. Take that, Adam Wilde. We're going to monopolize and now are your time to listen to this show this time. You know, none of this half hour oh, stuff. None of this half hour bullshit. We are back on our bullshit. Shout out to you, CJ. That hey, is buddy. amazing. Uh, listen to the show wherever you listen to podcasts. Subscribe to those podcast carriers. Subscribe to the YouTube page if you can. Uh, one last thing before we end off the show. I uh, donated to uh, Easter Seals, uh, the uh, charity foundation that uh, Steve Dangle has been asking a lot of his supporters uh, to donate money to. Uh, he has himself a, a team. I think there's supposed to be a charity game, a charity tournament. They're supposed to be involved with with, uh, with Eric Lindros and uh, his team, Rachel's Raiders. He's doing it in honor of his sister, who I believe went through Easter Seals. Uh, I implore you all at home, if you can, uh, to donate to that charity as well. If we're able to, uh, let's have the link in the description. If we're not able to have that there, I could always just go into the comments on YouTube and post the link to that as well. But uh, he's trying to get to a goal of about $25,000. Let's see if we can get uh, Steve Dangle there. That's a really noble cause to, to donate to. So uh, I donate some money. You're the man. Steve's done a great job with that, Julian. It's uh, been a, a cause close to his heart and he's really carried the flag for them. And I'm glad to see him still doing it. Yeah, I'm glad to see that as well. For CJ, I'm Julian saying so long. Peace. Peace, buddy. The Chris Johnston Show. Inside the game, twice a week. Follow Chris on Twitter at ReporterChris. And follow Julian McKenzie at JKMcKenzie.